Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Above the gates uh, at the Minot Air Force Base, there's this sign. It says, only the best come north. Yeah, there's another saying that uh, folks in the Minot area like to say um, during the wintertime. It's 30 below keeps the riffraff out. The, the thought was that the extreme winters act kind of as a purifier of the population. Um, it, it either toughened you up or got you to leave. Well, I don't know that I claim to understand just why it is that God causes such uh, weather as he's been giving us this winter, um, but it does tend to shape us a bit here too, doesn't it? The, the verses of scripture that are right before the ones that I'm going to read today uh, talk not about extreme cold, but extreme heat having a purifying or refining effect on people. We'll be looking at the Old Testament prophet Malachi, one of the last prophets of the Old Testament, and he points ahead then to the coming of John the Baptist and also the coming of Jesus Christ, who would then have that purifying effect on the world. Uh, Jesus would be like a refiner's fire, he says, which would then burn off the dross and purify the metal um, in that his exposing of sinners would either bring judgment upon them or would cause them to turn to God. I'd like to invite you to look with me then at Malachi chapter 3. If you're wondering just where that minor prophet is, it's the last book in, in the Old Testament. So if you'd find that, I invite you to do that and then stand in reverence to God's word, please. Reading chapter 3 and beginning with verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, well, how have we robbed you? In tithes and in offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this, your word to us through the prophet Malachi. 
And Lord, I pray that as I share from this passage today, you would open our minds to understand the situation in that time, and you would apply it to our hearts and lives in our culture that we live in now. Uh, we pray that you'd speak to each of us through your word and remind us then of the importance of our relationship with you and of things that indicate what that really looks like. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Malachi declares in these verses that with the coming then of what he was looking ahead to, Jesus Christ coming to this earth, the God who knows human hearts will draw near in judgment. And Malachi makes it clear that God has both the right and the ability to judge humanity, and that a time will come when he will do so, and he will be a swift witness against some. Now, a witness is one who was there, and who then saw the offenses committed by the one that's being charged, and who then reveals those facts. Well, God has seen it all, Nothing has escaped his watchful eye, and so he is both the witness against and the judge of all humanity. And that final judgment will take place when Jesus Christ returns. So then the question comes, well, who deserves this judgment? And Malachi here names then four types of sinners in verse four, or verse five, I should say, and then a couple more in verses seven and eight. Let's just walk through them and look at them here. He mentions the sorcerers. That is those that use power gained from the assistance or control of evil spirits. Or in other words, those that are involved in the occult. Well, it's understandable that somebody that blatantly is working for the devil deserves God's judgment, isn't it? He also lists the adulterers. That's those that have a sexual relationship with someone that they're not married to. And God's intention for sexual relationships was that it would be within marriage only. And so scripture speaks sternly regarding those that ignore that standard. He also mentions liars, or those who swear falsely, those who practice deception. And we sure have plenty of that going on around us these days, don't we? As we think of what's been in the news here more lately, um, that anti-mandate protest that's happening up in Canada is spreading to various other countries, including the United States and, and parts of Europe as well. And whatever else you think about that, they are a reflection of something. They are a reflection of an overwhelming decline in institutional trust. A decline in trust in governments and organizations and media that have been willing to, at times, practice deception and distortion of the truth for their own purposes. And we need to be careful that, that we don't then spread lies about them in return and become liars ourselves. He also mentions here oppressors. Oppressors are persons or groups that exercise authority or power over others in a harsh or burdensome way. And again, this seems to fit the news these days, as there are those in positions of government and of business in various parts of the world that have been taking advantage of the COVID crisis and acting as tyrants or despots, and plenty of us find that rather disturbing. However, Malachi focuses in on some other specific examples of oppressors here. 
He mentions those that oppress the wage earner in his wages. In other words, that don't pay somebody what they deserve. He mentions those that oppress the widow and the orphan or the fatherless. And as we look around our society, we see more and more kids growing up without a father in their life. And so many in need of help in that way. And he mentions those who turn aside from the alien and do not fear me. And this challenges us to consider or examine our own attitudes toward immigrants around us, even in our own communities. God clearly has a soft spot in his heart for the oppressed. And he will judge those who are the oppressors. And that should encourage us if we are oppressed. And it should also then make us take a good look around us at our fellow man and see those that are in need and have hearts of compassion for them. This last week, uh, we had Giving Hearts Day in our community, and it was great to see the generosity of people in the area to contribute to uh, nonprofit organizations and to ministries that seek to lift up those that are less fortunate. If I understand right, it was 26 million that came in in the community for that. Two other groups of people are mentioned here in verses 7 and 8 that God declares deserve judgment. He mentions robbers, which would be simply those who take things that don't belong to them. And then he mentions those that have turned aside from God's statutes, those that ignore or, or disregard God's word and his laws. And all of them, then, Malachi states, are deserving of the judgment of God. But there's something very important for you to catch here. God doesn't desire that anyone would have to face his judgment. God's desire instead of judgment is for hearts to return to him. And you see that in verses 6 and 7 here. He says, For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. It's because of what's in the heart of God that we have not been consumed by his wrath yet. And then he says in verse 7, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts. So why has God not yet brought consuming judgment on us? It's because God's concerns and his purposes do not change. Ours do. From day to day they change, don't they? But God's unchanging concern is for human hearts, and his purpose is to then draw straying human hearts back to himself and to his better ways and better plans for individual lives. And even when the judgment of God comes upon the world, it is out of compassion for lost souls to yet draw some of them back to him. And for those that do return to him, he gives a promise in verse 7. He says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And what a simple but hard thing that is for stubborn human hearts, isn't it? To simply admit that they were wrong, humble themselves, repent of their sin, and, and return then to the God who made them. However, if we are willing to do that, he gives this terrific promise that he will return to us. We, we don't have to hesitate and wonder if he's going to receive us like we would if we were going to another human. I'm so thankful for many promises in Scripture. One that sticks out to me that sums that up so well is in 1 John 1, 9, where it simply says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That, that is God's promise to us because of Jesus' death on the cross for us. And, and God invites then sinners to return to him 
and he will return to us. If we will humble ourselves and do that, then, then a very gracious and forgiving God just opens the door to a restored relationship with him. However, as we go on in this text, we see something that should challenge every one of us. One important indicator of a heart that returns to the Lord is that person's giving. And now this might be a tight, uh, kind of a touchy subject. We might rather avoid it, but the prophet Malachi didn't avoid it, so I'm not going to either today. Malachi points out here in verses 8 to 12 that God will judge robbers, and he says that people rob God by withholding their giving. Now wait a minute, robbing God? Well, we need to explain that. Well, remember, the definition of a robber is, is one who takes what does not belong to him. And so then when God blesses and he provides for all of our needs, and then we withhold in giving back to him out of our abundance, we are in a sense robbing God of what he truly deserves. And we may tend to think to ourselves, well, our finances are ours to sort out how to spend ourselves, and no one has the right to tell us how we should spend them. Well, except we make an exception for the government, right? Because after, that, after all, they'll come after us for our taxes if we don't pay them. And we don't really like paying them, but we figure we better do it or else. But since God doesn't sick the IRS on us, we figure giving to him is kind of optional. And in a way it is. But recognize what he's saying here. It, it does say something then about our hearts, whether we like it or not. And I need to pause and explain a couple key words here today. Tithes and offerings. By definition, the word tithe means 10%. And an offering is giving of one's free will above and beyond that. And I want to give you some Old Testament background here, though. The first time that we see this word tithe mentioned in the Bible, I think, is with Abraham, as he gave a tenth of the spoils of war to Melchizedek, who was a priest of the Most High God, and he gave it voluntarily there. Then when we look at the example of Moses here, Moses was given the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai there, and he was also then given various other instructions from the Lord, including we see this in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and so on, um, instructions um, for the sons of Israel to tithe from the fruit of the land and from the flocks and their herds. And the tithe was given then not as cash, but as a tenth of, a, of people's produce and livestock, uh, which was God's way then of, of feeding both the Levitical priesthood and, and also the poor. And the Levites then were responsible for oversight of a storehouse for the needy. <clears throat> so, so in a way you might say then that the tithe then went to the religious organization of the day um, and also it, it went to oversee what we might call, consider the, the welfare system uh, of sorts. And this system then was the Old Testament practice throughout the years from the time that the Israelites worshipped in the tabernacle while they were in the wilderness and through the time they worshipped in Solomon's temple in Jerusalem until that was destroyed and they were taken off into captivity in Babylon. And when Malachi is speaking here to the people of Israel then, <clears throat> is after all that. 
It's after the 70 years of exile in Babylon when, when they were then allowed to go back to um, rebuild the temple and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And, and what had occurred then is after that, the people had already slipped back into bad habits of neglecting worship of God and neglect of giving to the Lord and his work. Neglect of, then, both the tithes and the offerings. And so that's what he's addressing here. And as a result, then the storehouses were close to empty. And the Levites and the priests were not being provided for. And the needy were not being cared for. And so God directs Malachi, then, to confront the people. And remind them that they are robbing God of what's rightfully his. And they are hoarding for themselves and neglecting to care for God's servants and for the needy. So you look at verse 8, and there he says, Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. But rather than just declare God's curse of judgment coming on people for this, God invites the people there to test him in this area. And this is a fascinating thing. Because it's the only time I'm aware of in Scripture that God says to test him. He actually warns about testing him in, in other things. But here in verse 10 it, um, it is God's proposition for the people. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this. And see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you until it overflows. Now, how was God saying people could test him? Well, why would people not give a tithe then? Isn't it because they would think, well, then there won't be enough for themselves if they do? So God tells them to give their 10% and see if they still don't have more than enough. See if they don't find that the other 90% stretches further than they thought it could. But he is saying even more than that here. He's saying, test me now in this, give the whole tithe and see if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. That is, until there's no more room to contain the blessing. Who wouldn't welcome such a blessing? In these days, uh, where inflation is starting to run wild on us and, and we get worried about if our dollars are going to stretch far enough. God invites us still to test him by giving generously back to him and see if he doesn't provide for us and meet our needs and meet more than that. And we can have discussions about various things connected to this. For instance, if we ought to tithe today or not to the Lord's work since the government in our country oversees the welfare system, you could say. We could discuss if the tithe should go to the local church or go elsewhere. We, we could discuss if this Old Testament practice still even applies since we're under a new covenant of grace. And, and all of those are valid points to consider, and I'm not going to spend time explaining on each of those. But whatever else anyone wants to say about this, I, I do believe this, that, that percentage giving is also a built-in test of, of how much one loves money. It's, it's a way to get a chance to then see also if God will come through for us in his challenge to test us in this area of our finances. And if we're willing to begin to give not just pocket change that we have in our wallet at the time, but a percentage of whatever it is that we make, then when we make more, 
We give more. And we sit back and we see how God blesses. And that reminds me of a story. There's a man and his pastor who made a covenant with each other to tithe 10% of their incomes each year. And both of them were pretty young at the time and their salaries were kind of small. And so it wasn't that hard to give $2,000 a year out of a $20,000 salary. Well, years later, they, they both moved on to different locations and jobs, and, and this man dropped in on the pastor's office at the new location, and after shooting the breeze for a bit, the, the man said, Pastor, uh, I've got to ask you to release me from that covenant that we made. It, it's just getting too hard to tithe these days. It, it wasn't so bad when I was making $20,000, or even when I made 100000 and was given 10000 I earned $6 million last year, and that would mean giving away $600,000. The pastor said, well, I guess we better pray about this. And, and so he did. And his prayer went like this. Lord, please reduce this man's income back down to where it's not so hard for him to tithe. <laughs> the man had lost sight of how he had gotten rich in the first place. And it was due to the blessing of God. And he'd lost sight of the fact that really it, it all belongs to God anyway, and he's just a steward of it. Here in Malachi, God offers a challenge, and he promises a blessing to those who will test him in their giving. And if God does not change, are not his promises still valid? Regardless of how you understand the tithe in this challenge, I, I believe that if you are willing to designate a percentage of your income to the Lord's work, it'll be a way that you can allow then God to show you something about your own heart and how much money has a hold in the heart. And as you practice giving that percentage, God will bless you and he'll provide for you and, and he'll give you blessings beyond what you could have imagined. God promises overflowing blessings to those that do. And I'm not talking here of a health and wealth gospel. I'm, prom I'm not promising that you're going to get financially wealthy if you give generously. God may choose to do that, but he may choose to bless you in various other ways instead or as well. And I don't believe I'm being legalistic. I, I, I don't believe in being legalistic about the tithe. You know, the Pharisees in Jesus' day were legalistic about it. Uh, they were even tithing down to the smallest herbs in their garden produce. And they were bragging about it. And Jesus rebuked them for that. The emphasis that we find in the New Testament on giving is, is on giving with a cheerful heart and out of thankful hearts in response for what Christ has done for you. And if you grasp the amazing gift that Jesus offers you of full forgiveness of all of your sins and a place in heaven that's reserved for you, then you will you not want to give generously back to him. I like the simple little quote from John Wesley. He said, gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. One way that God gives a blessing that we see in verse 11 here is he talks about devour, or rebuking the devourer. And in Malachi's day, that was probably locusts or other insects or diseases of, of the, that would destroy a crop. And, and God can still do those things. He can cause devourers to come along, and he can keep them from doing so. He can give good weather for growing crops, or he can cause um, 
floods and droughts. He can cause world conditions that raise expenses or raise prices. Um, he, and, and if he can do that for the farmer, he can do that for the rest of us. He can cause our investments to grow or to wither. He can cause unexpected expenses or unexpected sources of income. One last thing I see here in verse 12. That is when God blesses his people, it, in, it impacts their land and even beyond. And, and revival is so needed in our land today, and, and it needs to start in the church. With us humbling ourselves and admitting our sins, and including then how, how money has gotten a hold of our hearts. And, and as we live in a very materialistic society, it, it tends to rub off on us, and, and we get caught up in the things of what others have and so on, and, and we lose sight sometimes of the eternal souls around us. I have a couple of vivid pictures in my mind from just the recent weeks here. One of them is of an estate sale that I went to um, in a very nice home uh, a few weeks back. And in the closet of this, I believe it was a man that lived by himself, in his closet he had at least 20 light blue polo shirts hanging right next to at least 20 yellow polo shirts, right next to at least 20 white polo shirts, right next to the pink ones. It was amazing. He had piles of the same size and style of shorts. He had many shelves full of shoes. He had a room full of Christmas decorations, none of them including the Christ of Christmas. And he had plenty of his stuff that had tags on and it had never even been out of the package. He obviously had had a compulsion to buy things, thinking that somehow they would satisfy an emptiness that no material things will ever fill. The other picture in my mind is uh, from a 60 Minutes interview with uh, Michael Keaton. He, he bought a thousand-acre property in Montana, um, in, the, in the mountains, uh, that had a trout stream running right through it. And, and he said that as soon as I bought the place, and it, and it had been a dream of mine from the time I was a kid, something hit me. And that is this. I don't really own anything. I'm just passing through. I listened a while ago to a sermon by uh, Pastor David Jeremiah in which he talked about financial signs of the end times. And, and he mentioned uh, addiction to money, acceleration of financial inequality, and he called it adoration of the Antichrist, and, and with that then the trend toward one world currency. All of which certainly describes some things that we see um, in the times in which we live. But you know, when the days grow darker, the light of Christ can shine all the brighter. And God's unchanging concern is for straying human souls to return to him. And he invites us today then, return to me and I will return to you. And one indicator of our hearts and where they're at in our life is our giving. Giving hearts day is over for another year. But the rest of the year might be the time for us to see if we really have giving hearts. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word that speaks to us about our hearts. And that is your great concern. 
that you would have each of our hearts, that we would recognize who you are, that we would respond and worship and praise to you, Lord, that we would humble ourselves and admit our sins and, and rest in the forgiveness that you so graciously offer us, that if we return to you, you return to us, and, and that door is open to relationship and fellowship with you throughout this life. And, and uh, Lord, as, as you've put your finger here today in your word on, on this area of giving, um, uh, help us that we'd be willing to pray about that ourselves in our own lives. And ask you, Lord, if there's something you want to show us even um, from this area uh, of how it's an indicator of our heart situation. And Lord, we pray that you would just draw us to uh, recognize that as we live in these days and the world around us uh, is many disturbing things. Lord, that uh, you would cause us to lift up our heads and recognize our redemption draws nigh. And Lord, that we would be living for the things that really matter. Um, that we'd be living with eternal values. And Lord, that we'd have heart concerns like you do for, for those around us that need to be drawn back to you. Uh, we pray in, in Jesus' name. Amen.